thank you again to Laura and our choir for helping us uh, lead us in worship this morning. Before um, we go into our sermon today, I just want to make a quick uh, preface that just kind of weighed heavily on me this morning. Um, you know, we'll go through, I'll walk through a little bit about the letters of Colossian, and, um, and as we do that, I know uh, for some of you, this might be a uh, three, four uh, hour sermon marathon that you're going to have to sit through. Um, of course not, we'll have, a, we'll have to wrap things up around noon, but I know for many of you, um, I know Southern Baptists, you can't, we'll, we'll have a riot if we don't have uh, our lunch, but... Uh, it's just been weighing on me, and I know maybe an individual or a family here, uh, this might be the only time this week you're going to hear the Word of God, and um, I don't want that to be the case. So if you have any questions about maybe you don't know how to do, uh, maybe start or a structure, a, a personal devotion time with the Lord each day, or uh, you'd like to get more involved and find other of our Winstanley family where you can get together during the week and pray or read scripture, I just want to invite you to uh, have a conversation with me afterwards uh, so that we can plug you in. Um, there's opportunities all throughout the week where you can get together. I know um, Sue DeWarm is doing a, a prayer group that's meeting. Uh, we have wonderful uh, nonprofits and Christian organizations praying the gospel like Kids for Christ and R3 that are doing wonderful work. Uh, throughout the week. So if you'd like to know more or get more involved or just uh, plug in more to our church, I really encourage you to uh, talk with me after the service. I know for many churches, they'll measure the health of their church by how many attend each and every Sunday. Uh, but here at Winstanley, we really want to emphasize um, that it's not just Sunday attendance that we care about, but also the attendance of the divine appointments God has for you. On Monday, Thursday, Saturday, uh, with people, with um, strangers, with opportunities to share the gospel and to serve in wonderful ways. So if you'd like to uh, learn more how to do that, please uh, have a conversation with me after, this, uh, after our worship service. So if I tell you that it's someone's special day today, what do you think I'm talking about? What do you think that's alluding to? Any guesses? A birthday, okay, yeah, self-evident, right? Your special day, your personal day is your birthday. And I remember growing up in elementary school, it is so true, especially for kids, is birthdays are just so fun. There's something to be excited for. Uh, they're the one thing that will light up any kid's day. Um, and I can relate to that. I remember growing up and in elementary school, it was such a common occurrence, you know, maybe a few times a month even that we would go to a birthday party because back in my time, you didn't just invite your immediate family or a few close friends to a birthday party. Who'd you invite? Like the whole class, right? Just all of your, you know, if anyone was left out, they would feel so terrible and you would have all these big excursions uh, where you would take these kids, whether it's, um, you know, Chuck E. Cheese or, um, you know, camping out or having big slumber parties. Uh, but for me, my favorite uh, thing to do that's, that's really have gone um, by the wayside lately are these big, elaborate indoor playgrounds. 
So I don't know if you grew up in the late 80s and 90s, but uh, there were places like Leaps and Bounds and Circus World and Discovery Zone, and man, that is a place to have a party. They were just, if you think of Chuck E. Cheese, think of it like Walmart size indoor playgrounds where you can just go out and be crazy and they'll have halls and halls of all these um, prizes you can get with your tickets and it was, it was just amazing. And so as we think about that, it's so amazing because not only do you have all of your friends, all your family come together, uh, what are they also doing? They're giving you presents, they're giving you a, a huge cake and making you just feel like you're the only person on earth for a day. And even as we get older, obviously, you know, we don't have those same type of celebrations. Um, but nevertheless, you'll still always be appreciated, whether it's a coworker from 10 years ago or an estranged relative, they'll just, you know, they'll pop up on your Facebook wall that, hey, happy birthday. It's like, wow, I haven't talked to this person forever. Um, they're still alive. And it's like, yeah, so all these people will come out of the, wor the, the, the woodworks to just give you uh, a special uh, recognition on your day. So as a culture, we are privileging birthdays so much. And there are many events, not just birthdays, but anniversaries or, um, or you know, special rites, uh, graduation, things like that, landmarks that we have in our lives. And it's interesting uh, that it's how determined of our culture uh, you know, what it appreciates, what it glorifies, is what we choose to celebrate and prioritize most. An example you can think of is if you look around the globe, did you know that there are some cultures that don't celebrate birthdays, like your individual birthdays? So if you're ever, especially in Asia, if you're in Vietnam or Korea, what they do is instead of celebrating someone's birthday, they'll just have like a big, big, big New Year's festival where they'll kind of have everyone's, you know, as the nation is birthed, so is everyone's birthday being celebrated. Um, and in Russia, you know, they don't have birthday cakes in Russia. They actually do something probably a little healthier. What you'll have is instead of a big sugary cake is you'll have a big double crusted fruit pie with your name on it and, you know, a special message that's kind of been printed on it. So there's just so many different ways that our culture shapes what we appreciate and how we go about doing that. But one interesting observation is even within our Christian subculture, we don't really recognize um, another birthday that we commonly forget, which is our uh, coming to faith in Christ, right? Being reborn into Christ and his image. And I'm not sure um, why that is, but I have some theories of why we might not appreciate that quite as much um, because it's not as visible. We see it as something that's very ethereal, something that's going to be, you know, when I'm gone, you know, I'll go up with heaven and that's all that's important. But as we're going to see as we walk through the book of Colossians, we're going to see that Paul has not, doesn't, doesn't have that idea at all, uh, that we're living in a new body, in a new flesh, even now. And as we're doing that, we're leaving behind this earthly flesh um, that we are so clingy to, that we attach to so much, uh, that's dissolving away. And he's encouraging uh, the Church of Colossae and other nearby churches to get into this new reality that's going to last longer, that even though you haven't seen it, you haven't experienced it, it's going to be um, 
your existence for, you know, we're here for what, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 120 years, but this life in Christ is just, there's no number that can be attached to it. Um, so I, we're going to go ahead and we're going to see the first three chapters of Colossians, and we're going to see how this concept of a second rebirth is really uh, what he's getting at with a, a major theme. Um, in the first chapter, what he does is that he introduces Christ in its scale, in his scale and his supremacy. Starting in verse 15, uh, he quotes a really early hymn in the early Christian church. And what it does is that it has a, a extraordinary high, what's called a high Christology, and makes an unambiguous decree that Jesus is not just you know, created by God or subservient to God, but is equal to the Father in every measure. And how this hymn uh, says is that Christ's image is that exactly of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By Jesus, all things are created in the heavens and the earth, and he is before all things. All things are held together and the fullness of God the Father dwells within the person of Jesus. So not only did Jesus create everything, he sustains it, he holds it together. He aligns everything according to God's purpose. And so with that in mind, what Paul goes next with this idea is talking about Jesus coming into the flesh and dying a physical death on the cross. And what that does and what he's trying to go here. Um, is us as finite creations are able to be fully reconciled to God through Jesus' sacrifice. And I know for many of you, you've heard, oh, reconciliation with God, what does that mean? It's kind of a, you know, an abstract uh, Christian dictionary term you might hear. But all that really means is that we get the opportunity to coexist with Christ in perfect harmony just the way he intended. If you remember, in Genesis uh, 3, what happened? Humans rejected God. He had this perfect creation and called it good, but what did we do? We messed it up. We sinned. We thought about ourselves, and we've built a chasm away from God ever since. But Jesus has closed this chasm and the gulf between us by his physical death on the cross. And not only do we get to reconcile or align with all the things Jesus and God wants for us, but he wipes the slate clean. Not only do we get a pardon, not only do we have things uh, forgiven, but everything is erased. Our sinful nature will all be wiped clean. And as we go into chapter 2, what's going to be really amazing is that he's going to really flesh out and expand this concept even further. So not only are we renewed, not only do we have harmony in Christ and have a new realignment, we have this powerful image of a rebirth, of dying and rising in glory, foreshadowing a greater reality that's going to happen during Christ's second revelation. And so if you remember our story that we mentioned at the very beginning in Matthew about John the Baptist, who is really kind of the unsung hero among the prophets. When you think of a, the major prophets, you probably think of, of Moses or Ezra or Isaiah. 
But John the Baptist, he has a very short uh, role towards the beginning of each gospel. And what he does is he rolls a red carpet and makes room for Jesus to come, the Messiah to come in and announce this coming kingdom. And when he initially did that, what he did was an odd sort of ritual. What he would do is he would take these Hebrews and go to the Jordan River and just go and put them under the river and rise them up. And not, you know, at the time, no one really understood what that meant. They just understood it as an initiation of what's going to happen for the Messiah that was coming. But little did even John know that he would have the privilege to not only anoint or foresee this Messiah, he was able to also baptize him. And as he baptized him, as he put Jesus under the water, under the river, the Jordan River, and rose him up, what happened? The heavens opened up, an announcement of God, of this is the Son of God, and he is well-pleasing to the Father. So you get this amazing image of someone going under and rising again. And what does this parallel? Think about it. If this is how Jesus' ministry begins, what does that foreshadow? Just as he is under and rising again, it's a symbolic image of what is to come that also the disciples did not foresee their Messiah dying and then rising. But that's exactly what happened. That's what happened when this symbolic, you know, seemingly mysterious symbolic ritual was foreshadowing that not only would Jesus symbolically die and rise, but literally die and rise on the third day and prove uh, that he is, in fact, the true Messiah, the one true God come back to life. So as we think about the symbolism, Paul is pointing out a similar dynamic here, that as we symbolically die and rise with Christ, as he did, Symbolically, at first, we also have a very little literal death and a very literal resurrection that even we can't understand or fully grasp it right now. In the second revelation of Christ, we will, where all things will become clear. Um, let us now go, if you're able to, please stand as we um, read for our verse today. Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Let's see what the Apostle Paul says exactly about this rebirth being symbolized. Starting in verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. You may be seated. So through this illustration of baptism, this mysterious act, we can see what is foreshadowing, is symbolic of what is to come in both instances. And as we look specifically in verse 12, it's a really interesting observation that Paul uses a very unusual word for baptism. So the typical Greek word, what you would use is baptisma, and all that means is to dip. So that's just, you know, a casual word of to dip. And he's going a step further, specifically in the book of Colossians, uh, which he doesn't do in other letters. Well, he'll, instead of saying baptisma, he'll say baptismos, another suffix. And all that most means is that it 
takes a further illustration from dipping to immersing. And I think that this is very intentional. Uh, we can get into a big debate with other brothers and sisters of other denominations about the proper mode of baptism or, or sprinkling versus immersion. But laying down any argument aside, what I so love about Paul's use of immersion here is that it's very purposeful. Just as Jesus and the first uh, Christian followers were immersed in the Jordan River, they came out fully in the water, fully buried, and then rose, symbolically showing what was literally going to take place, that Jesus was literally going to be buried and literally rise again. And it just so accurately captures the essence of the purpose and what this second rebirth holds for us. And so in thinking about that, um, you know, I'll, I'll make a point, first of all, that, you know, when we think of baptism, there's nothing magical about the water rite. It's not the baptism that saves you. It's not, you know, this warm water in the baptismal that will give you a backstage to, to, you know, to heaven or anything. What it does is that it symbolizes what is to come. It's taking a symbolic act, an act that foreshadows and shows what literally is going to happen when Christ comes back again. First, Christ was the first to show this, this resurrection, but this is more to come during his second coming that we can all look forward to. And so continuing this thought, we go into chapter three, and this is what it reads, um, the implications, the application of what this means for each of us. Beginning in chapter three, Paul reads, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life has been made hidden with God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then also will be revealed. you will be revealed with him in glory. And so if you think of that, that phrase in verse 4, hidden with Christ, when you first hear that, that might be, you know, it sounds something poetic, right? Something, oh, it's beautiful. You know, our life is going to be hidden with Christ to one day be revealed. But Paul is telling us that there is something literal that is happening. So he is saying, literally, we are going to have a new physical glorified body. This, not, this isn't going to be, you know, a disembodied mind. This isn't going to be an apparition. This isn't going to be just existing in the, in the uh, spiritual this is going to be a real-life, physical resurrection. And as soon as Christ comes back, that is when all of this will take place. So even though the Holy Spirit is working in you, and it's, it doesn't seem physical because we're not, you know, we're not physically uh, in our new resurrected bodies yet, but he wants to keep us in mind that we're still, the Holy Spirit is working within us, working within our brokenness, working within our fallenness, working within the imperfect flesh we were given on our first birthday. And so as we think about that, you know, one thing I, I always think about is uh, it's, it's hard for us to really wrap our minds around it. And I think one of the best ways to illustrate that is imagine I go to Jenny and I say, Jenny, we have, you know, I have the best birthday gift for you. I have the most amazing, um, you know, I have your favorite cake. I have your, you know, your, your, brand name boots that you wanted, you know, just everything you could ever imagine. And, but there's a catch though. It's not going to be celebrating your, your old earthly birthday. What it's going to do is going to celebrate your new, brand new 
birthday of a rebirth, but here's the catch. It's invisible. You can't see it now. But one day, Jenny, one day you are going to see these boots. One day you are going to see your favorite cake. But just not today. How do you think that would go over? Not, not too well. You know, she wants her cake. She wants her birthday. You know, that is, you know, that would be, you know, very lame of me as a husband to deny her that. But at the same time, this is kind of the idea that Paul's trying to get across. That yes, it seems abstract. Yes, it seems like, oh, you know, this is just going to happen to me when I die and I'll worry about it then. But he wants us to have that faith that yes, that, that cake, those boots are going to one day happen. And we need to be living each and every day in anticipation of that. So when you read the rest of chapter 3, there's going to be certain expectations and certain ways Christians can live as if we are already entered into our new bodies, our new glorified bodies. There's no reason today, through the work of the Holy Spirit, that we can't go out and live a life worthy of that resurrected body made in glory. And so he gives examples of what we need to put aside we need to put aside, you know, there's, there's malice, there's jealousy, and there's greed. And when you hear those words, you know, you go through this list, and what do those words apply to? What, what do they always apply to? Somebody else, right? I'm never greedy. I never lie. I'm not a bad person. It's other people who are bad. You know, we compare each other. We compare, oh, at least I'm not that person. Oh, look at this person. And we move the goalposts. We move the standard of what God has for us and justify our own goodness. But what Paul is wanting us to do is be humbled, knowing that it's not us, it's not the work of our fallen state, our fallen flesh, but the Holy Spirit working into us that we need to accept, that we need to follow through. And in that, we will easily, naturally be sensitive to our sin, not comparing, not looking to our left, to our right to see what other people are doing, but God's gonna give us a little detection, you know, a tingling in our senses that, God, I need to be doing this a little bit more. God, I need to go and serve and pray for this person. Lord, I've been slacking in my devotionals, in my tithing. And then we heighten the bar in ourselves and have greater expectations. And that was Paul, that is what Paul is really trying to challenge us today. As he sends these letters to these churches, they are navigating, you know, they are in the flesh, they are awful, and, you know, you can look at Corinthians and look at Colossians and can tell, oh, you know, this church is kind of more, you know, needs real help, uh, but in all cases, you know, the church is not perfected, when Stanley is not perfected, but if we go and we live each day like it is our rebirth day, like we are living into eternity today, the more we can coordinate and work with each other and see God's kingdom, not only in heaven or, you know, after his second coming, but here on earth. So I encourage you as we think about that, is that big challenge, get challenged to go and do something to get out of your comfort zone. See where God can lend you to do just a little bit more. One thing that I really like as he's going through all these lists of expectations is in verse 11, he says that there is no longer any Greek or Jew or man or woman. We are all one in Christ. And what that is really reflecting is that it doesn't matter your, what your condition was on earth, your lot in life, the color of your skin, uh, whether you were born in America or Ethiopia 
or in China. As believers, we are all one in Christ, and this will be made revealed during that second, um, during the second revelation of Jesus, everything will be revealed, everything will be perfected and made aligned and made right the way God intended since Genesis 1. And we're all going to be together. And there's a lot of controversy in our culture about, you know, we make so much about our identity in so many different ways, in so many um, different importance in our culture. But what I love about this verse is that the only identity that is ever important is your identity is if you have Christ or if you don't. That's all that's going to matter at the end of the day. So as we conclude, first of all, you know, don't think I'm, you know, Toby's still going to get birthday balloons. He's still going to get cake. We can still celebrate birthdays. We can still celebrate our anniversaries and appreciate those days. But just know, as we celebrate those days, they are fading. They are only shadows for what is to come. You know, we can celebrate the, the birth of our physical body, but our physical body is going to expire, it's going to fail, it's going to be sinful, uh, and it's going to go away, you know, in the next few years, at some point in time. Yet the second birth will never die, will overcome sin, sin will never be part of it, and we can persevere knowing that we will be together with God forever, not a set amount of time, but all of eternity and don't you think that is something worth celebrating every day as we get up in the morning, as we go to our school, to our work? Are we living as if we are celebrating the second day or second birthday, the one that really counts? And so as we, th as we come to a close, I want you to think about where you are right now. Many of you feel like, you know, you've been baptized, you've gone through that routine, uh, but maybe you just don't have the same passion. That has, you know, the Holy Spirit's really fanned out for you. And you had a point in your Christian walk where you were into God's word every day, you were doing amazing things, fellowshipping with other believers, reaching strangers and outsiders for Christ. But man, I've just been getting lax. Maybe you need to think about as we come um, to our final song, if maybe you can come up and, and talk about that, share about, man, I just need to, to really rededicate my life to the Lord. Or maybe it might be a time to have a first baptism. For me personally, I was baptized when I was, I believe, in fourth or fifth grade, and I didn't see that as a real baptism. And the reason I didn't see that as one was because it was just to make my mom happy. Uh, it was just kind of a rite of passage, like a confirmation or a bar mitzvah. It's just something to, you know, we can get the camcorder out and celebrate uh, for celebration's sake. So when I came to have a personal saving relationship with Christ in the summer of my junior year of high school, my senior year, I decided to get baptized. So maybe you've been dipped in water before, but you're asking yourself, Pastor Chris, maybe I need to get baptized really, seriously. So if I pray uh, that's you, I, I encourage you to come uh, speak with me, uh, speak with Dr. Timothy uh, or our deacons, but we would love to answer questions you might have 
about being baptized or what that really means or a rededication. So as we go to our song, I pray that we continue to go out and celebrate. Uh, this will be a song that we're about to sing of celebrating our uh, being reborn in Christ. Um, and I want you to think about what is worth celebrating. You know, maybe it's your football team winning. Maybe it's the Cardinals going to the World Series. But if it's not your second birth in Christ, I challenge you to rethink where your priorities are. So let us now stand and celebrate and sing the thankfulness we have in our salvation.